0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Six seconds to go. Comes in to Tucker. Ewing sets a screen. The shot is off. Loose ball. Ewing goes up. The basket comes.
1: to another episode of Strick and Roll. This is episode 11. I'm your host, Poo, as always, and I am joined today uh, by the commander-in-chief, dictator-in-charge, uh, the supreme commander of the Strickland, Alex Wolf. Alex, how are you doing?
0: I'm good. I'm good. I'm, uh, I feel like an enormous weight has been lifted off my shoulders today. <laughs> with the ending of the next season. I was so excited. i I don't know if I've ever been more excited for next season to end than this one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I
1: I I feel exactly the same, which is why we needed to talk about the Knicks today.
0: No, I mean it's just you know, no, I mean it was it's time for a postmortem. I'm glad to finally be able to do the postmortem. Yeah, like, yeah,
1: exactly. It was just such a the thing is like the last half of the season it just felt like we were arguing the same stuff over and over again, because there was nothing else to argue. Like there was no point where Tibbs changed the starting lineup significantly. And we had some different like stuff to analysis, uh analyze. It was just the same things. Right. So it's like starter suck bench comes in bench. Good. And the only things that really changed were like IQ shot, like IQ shot a lot better. OB picked up his play of the year, but like, those guys were good at the start of the year. They had a little blip in the middle. Like I, I don't think it was as crazy of a leap as it seemed. Uh, maybe uh, Quickly, it's probably more so just because um, the playmaking advanced so much. But before we get into all of this, uh, I do need to announce this on this Patreon. You can subscribe to it. There's a number of tiers. There's a $6 tier that gets you access to Bob Strickland every Friday that I do with Prez. It also gets you access to the mailbag that I do every other week with Jeremy and Drew. Furthermore, you get access to the Strickland Discord, where we talk about the Knicks all the time, all day, 24-7, 365, and other things like, how good is Rick Ross? Um, there's also further tiers. There's a $9 tier that gets you access to this pod right here, Strick and Roll. It also gets you access to, more importantly, wonderful weekly articles by Jack Huntley and Matthew Miranda, two of the best in the business, uh, in basketball, in the NBA, Knicks-verse. Um, there are further tiers beyond that. There's a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and $100 tier. You get additional benefits like discounts on merchandise. Uh, you can watch games with us, live watch parties, not this year anymore, uh, sadly, but next year. Uh, and you could even potentially host a podcast one day. Whether you choose to subscribe or not, your support is appreciated. None of this would be possible without you. And without further ado... Um, yeah, okay, so, look, next season is obviously over, and there's a lot of ways to discuss this, but I guess, you know, like, zooming out, forgetting the arguments over minutiae... Um, I guess not minutia, but details. Um, look, they went 37 or 45... I think they end up with a zero a minus zero point two net rating on the season. Um, their expected win loss was forty one to forty one, so they finished you know four games below what the point differential says. I kind of feel like, as annoying as Tibbs was this year, and as frustrating as that, so much has been very frustrating about this year. I think they're actually in a fine position. Like, if there is a concern, it's that. What do you do with Julius? Obviously, that's one. But the overarching concern, and I, this will be there until one of the young guys takes a major leap, or you know they make a move. But like, there still doesn't seem to be that central. Like, this is our star player that we know hundred percent is good enough to build around, and if we build around him properly, we will have a contender. Um, and I think like that's, that that would have even been the case if Randall repeated uh, his play from last year. Like, I, I, I don't, I, I think we, we agree on this. I think most people would agree on this. Was that Randall was never going to be the guy on a title team, but like maybe he could be one of the guys. And look, I, maybe he bounces back. I don't know. But either way, I don't think that ever changed. So, um, you know, like it's really nice to see these young guys develop the way they have over the course of the year. Um, but ultimately, I think that's kind of where there's a little bit of. how do we get to that place, right? How do we get that player? And I think that's, if there's a concern, that's the concern. But like in relation to past Knicks seasons and past iterations of this team where you're looking for that guy, um, they're in a much healthier position because they actually have young guys that are good, like actually good. I mean, like genuinely move the needle. Um, So it's not all doom and gloom.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. Like, you know, I, I, I don't think they're in a bad place at all either. You know, they've still they've managed to build all this up without sacrificing any draft capital. Like the pick that they traded for Cam Reddish this year was so heavily protected that it was going to be a you know a, a late first round pick anyway. And like I think you and I talked about this, I think on on Pod Strickland at one point, like the Cam trade was totally cool. Um, you know, I don't I don't think that there was any. Uh, any real downside to that you know i think that he has a ton of potential and you know he's just one of now like t- almost eight to ten you know like leon rose said what was his number like nine of the 15 guys on the roster under 24 yeah. th- yep. yesterday but I and think then that-
1: he he did the he did the tips thing too of like and Julius is only
0: twenty seven. Yeah, yeah, which is which is you know stupid, but like it, only in the prime of his career, and just had a big decline after the best year of his career. But you know, oh, whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I like where they're at as far as roster construction goes. I mean, I think one other promising thing, in addition to seeing like these young guys are good and can play, you know, like as much as I loved like, it, which uh, I'll get to the point I was about to make in a second, but I was just going to say like. You know, the Knicks have had, quote-unquote, young talent on the roster before, but it used to be in past years that was, like, all the potential of, you know, the body but not body of work of, like, Kevin Knox, who's got an NBA body but just hasn't put it together yet. And, like, uh, Frank Nolikino, who's got an NBA body, just hasn't put it together yet, you know? And, uh, you know, I loved... Frighten Elikina, I still think that he could be an effective role player in the Probably NBA. Probably the
1: greatest player of all
0: time. Maybe the greatest player of all time also. If things <laughs> continue on their current slow, slow trajectory, he'll be the best player by the time he's about 55. Um, but, like, you know, I, I still believe in him to a degree. Knox, maybe not so much. But, you know, we used to have to talk ourselves into these guys, whereas now there's, like, like Obi Toppin, Emmanuel Quickly, um, you know, well, it's like drive. Those
1: guys, I think, like, the upside, at least by, like, what, year three – with those guys was more like, and I still think this is the Frank Like I think like being a solid rotation player, Mm -hmm. like, can you be a solid rotation player? And like, I know that's like, when you draft somebody in the lottery, you are always hoping for more than that. Right. But like, ultimately if you get any, like most of the time, if you just look at like average outcomes by draft slot, if you get anybody out of the, out of the top five, who ends up being a solid rotation player, that's basically a hit yeah that's your, a win yeah. yeah that's a win so like it, but the thing that's really exciting about these guys and I think this is where you were going with it is that like it seems like there's a lot more there I mean with yeah. quickly especially I've I mean I've probably been like I, I mean it's either me me and stacy I think have like changed places where last year he was the most insane quickly booster and now I'm just like no. I'm the captain now. Um, (laughs) But like, I I, like quickly. And with Obi, like there's just, they're already good rotation players, if not more than that, like in their second years in the NBA. And yes, Obi's older and short quickly is 22. And he spent two years in college, but like, I don't really give a shit. Like they're already contributing at a level where at this stage in their careers, if they're already doing that, there is a very good reason. And honestly likelihood that they develop into just more than simply nice rotation players.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm with that. Like, I think uh, that, that is exactly where I was going. Like, I think, you know, there's more than just potential with these guys. There's like actual realized results here. And, you know, you could say all you want, like, Oh, Kevin Knox scored 30 in his rookie year or whatever. Like, yeah, sure. Cool. But you never saw anything out of Kevin Knox that looked anything close to what Obi's doing right now, in the sense of like, Knox always looked like he was sort of a fish out of water. Like, he was just kind of like thrown into the fire without, you know, any clothes on. You know, it was just like, figure it out, dude. Like, you know, like it, he's like, uh, it was like Kevin Knox was like like out on an episode of Naked and Afraid, and like Obi Toppin looks more like he's on the episode of Survivor Man. You know what I mean? Like, Obi just looks more equipped to actually replicate what he's been doing um, and to like actually survive in the NBA. And I think that you know that that definitely informs you know how you can look at the Knicks going forward because now they have these uh these guys that give them the ability to either grow together and just try to see if it works out you know try to pull like the I don't know if you want to call it the the Warriors method initially the you know the the OKC method whatever you want to call it where you just see like hey you know we've seen out of these guys maybe they can turn into a a really winning core together or. If they decide to, you know, just go for the splash, they have the pieces to make that splash now, like legitimately. Like it's not like we're just talking ourselves into like, oh, some team will talk themselves into Kevin Knox as like the centerpiece of a trade with a couple first round picks for like Damian Lillard. It's like, no, like if you if you're giving up like Obi Toppin and Emmanuel Quickly in a deal now, or even just one of them, that's a significant piece. You know, those are two guys that have now proved that they can be like 20 point per game scorers in the NBA potentially. Uh, with how they've played over these last few weeks, and honestly how they played the whole season and just weren't really given chances to do more by Tibbs, which I'm sure we're going to talk about in this show too. But, you know, it's I feel pretty good about the Knicks going forward. I think they're well-equipped. They have all their own picks. They still have the extra Dallas pick next year, which I think holds more value as a theoretical asset than an actualized asset. So we'll see how they can kind of leverage the value of, like, what, like, future picks mean in the NBA. Uh, in in like this upcoming season, but I, I like where they're going. You know, I, I still have faith regardless of, uh, of how many times Leon Rose opens his mouth and speaks to a camera or who he does it with, you know, the actions and the, you know, what the front office has done and how they've, how they drafted, how they spent their money, how they've guarded the draft pick still, which has been, you know, honestly, it's crazy to say, but it's been, it's been a core tenet of the last three Knicks front offices at this point to guard draft picks with their lives.
1: It's a, I mean, I don't think I'm, I'm not revealing any state secrets here. Um, That's like basically been a tenant of theirs because when Dolan did that entire, uh, what he had, what was it, McKinsey, do like that fucking analysis of the franchise before he hired Phil, um, after he fired Grunwald, like during that 2013-14 season. And I'm pretty sure they just had consultants that told him like, yeah. So what you want to do is not constantly trade your first round picks. That that's going <laughs> to be what you want to do. Um, and if you actually notice, since then, like even the onerous, like horrible contracts the Knicks have given out, they are not in the same ilk as the ones of like the 2000s. I don't think. Um, I mean, like really, if you're talking about true disaster contracts, the only one that I would say qualifies as that after that after 2013-14 season is the NOAA contract like that's it like I I don't think any other contract they've handed out is a disaster and when I say disaster I mean like crippling your franchise you know like Courtney Lee was annoying I didn't think that was a franchise crippler Tim Hardaway Jr. was annoying I don't think that's a franchise crippler Um, obviously you know I don't want to relitigate the Porzingis trade but they were able to move those contracts in that trade. Clear off the cap space. Um, did Leon Rose and Brock Aller and these guys nail last year's offseason? No, they did. Like, it's fine. Like, that's just a fact. They did not do it. Um, but none of these contracts to me are ones that I look at and I'm like, man, this is going to sink the franchise for the foreseeable future. Um, like, the Randall contract is weird. Uh, I tend to not think it's, I don't think it's like a value anymore. But I don't think it's also bad. Like I just think it is. It, it exists in some kind of capacity. And if you look around the NBA, there's a lot of contracts that it's hard to know if they're actually good or bad or whatever. Like is Terry Rogier's contract good or bad? I have no idea. Like would is there a world where they would trade Rozier's contract for Randall's? Probably, maybe. I don't. I'm not saying that's gonna happen. I'm just saying it's possible. Gordon Hayward for Randall probably like there's, there's contracts out there that you can like envision being swapped for Julius's. Um, and I just don't, I just don't think that like qualifies him as an albatross and that's not really to defend them as much as it's just to like point out a difference. Um, and yeah, like, you know, Fournier's contract, I, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Like I think if they were desperate to move off at this off they could do it. I mean, it might cost them a pick if they just wanted to salary dump it but like i don't think it was be it would be something where teams would be like oh my god can't even imagine trading for this
0: deal yeah um, i would argue that he he arguably played up to his deal in like yeah, the second so. half of the season you know the first half was rough but the second half when he finally settled in i thought that he did everything that we expected him to do
1: yeah no i i 100% agree and i just you know i don't i don't think and like to go to your point like it's actually kind of funny to me thinking of the criticisms of this current front office um Because a lot of the criticisms that we've read, and I think uh, Jake Fisher had this in his article probably a month ago about Tibbs staying on, um, was that one of the criticisms of this front office was like, oh, you know, they're trying to win every deal. They're never trying to make a fair deal. They're always trying to get a second-round pick here, a second-round pick there. And, like, you know, it's like almost describing them as hoarders. And I think that's really interesting because it's just like – the exact opposite of what the criticism and the shortcomings of the Knicks was for so long, right? It was it was so much of like not valuing draft picks, not understanding how to acquire more capital, how to not use leverage in trade talks and stuff like that. And does that mean like, like yes, there's obviously a threshold where you get like, you know, Leon was on there yesterday and he talked about how they have 13 draft picks over the next three years, I think he said. Um, Four first-round picks. And, like, like that's getting to that point where you're like, okay, it's great that we have all these picks, but, like, we probably need to start consolidating them or trading a, a second for, like, like converting it to a, a second down the line from, like, another team or something, but just, like, pushing out your assets. But um, the fact that they even have those options and stuff like that, like, that's kind of why I don't think this situation is so dire or anything. Like... You know, you people talk about like how are they going to move Nerlens Noel's contract? This is why you acquire all these second round picks and shit like that, so that if you really need to dump him, you can just be like, "All right, look, we're going to toss you like three seconds and this contract. Like, just give us an expiring, and we all move on with our lives." You know, like there's just ways to that they have available to them now in trade that, like, even if we all, I think we can all agree to some to some degree um, that this season did not go as expected and the contracts they gave out were not universally lived up to, right? I think Burke's probably, Burks probably lived up to his contract for probably lived up to his contract. Rose did when he was healthy, but obviously the health is a big question mark. Kemba a dud, Noel, a total dud. Um, so how, no, and Randall, I look, let's just be honest. Like for right now, I don't think the contract is untradeable or anything like that. Not even close, but relative to what you were expecting, he was a dud this year. Um, but like, Now let's see what you can do. You have all these salaries. Now it's up to you as the front office. And, you know, the pressure is on them even more. I tweeted this out today, but, like, retaining Tibbs puts the pressure on them even more um, to convert these salaries in some capacity into a more productive and useful rotation. Um, Not that this year's rotation was necessarily bad or devoid of talent, but, like, there's obviously upgrades to be made. You know, you can always improve from where they are right now. Um, but I'm just—I'm very interested to see how they go about it because, like, like I said, you know, and Leon mentioned this. Like, they have the 13 draft picks over the next three drafts, four of them being first rounders. Um, and he specifically mentioned that, like, it gives them flexibility to be players in a lot of different areas, um, which obviously, given contracts, is probably trades. Um, so I'm very curious to see how they go about things this off season.
0: Yeah, I am too. You know, I think that they're unfortunately at least as of right now, I mean, things can change after the playoffs, obviously. But as of right now, they're sort of in this weird spot where they're in a in a perfect position to make a star trade without any stars really making that much noise that they're ready to move on from where they are right now. You know, it's like there's the guys that, you know, the Knicks will always sort of be linked to in some way or another are the Leon Rose former clients. And that's like, Carl Anthony Towns, who's about to, you know, be in the play in. And that's like the first time that the the Timberwolves have made any sort of playoff appearance since Tibbs was there. Uh, and he might not be super thrilled to come and play with Tibbs again, even though things seem to be kind of smoothed over with him. Like Joel Embiid, who's on the Sixers, who kind of just went all in with this James Harden trade. And I doubt that Embiid's then going to turn around and be like, trade me now. You know, he's going to give it at least a year's worth of chance. Devin Booker who's on like literally the best team in the league is never going to ask out of there. And that brings you to like Donovan Mitchell, who maybe is the most likely guy to ask out. But, you know, he's been in a fairly good situation, too. And unfortunately, is going to have like four more years left on his contract after this year. So it's like, how much leverage does he really have to get where he wants to go? Um, you know, it's it, it's just interesting to see uh, what's it, what the Knicks end up doing. You know, it's like, because to your point, yes, yeah, some things need to change, but they do have sort of the blueprint and the pieces to potentially make that that big trade to sort of move them to the next level or something or they could just sort of reshuffle things a little bit and like I don't think any look I I know that you and I and many other fans are unhappy with the fact that it seems like they're going to keep Tibbs at least to start next year based off how things went this year but you know there's some moves that could be made by the front office that You know, however unfortunate they would be because it would mean sort of jetting some pretty good uh, players that you simply have to jet just to take them away from Tibbs like Alec Burks or something. But there are there is a scenario where the Knicks could just kind of jet Julius Randall jet, uh, you know, Alec Burks and a couple of these other like security blanket type players for Tibbs and just like, you know, maybe they re-sign Mitch to a, a somewhat reasonable contract and then. You know, ink RJ to an extension, which I don't care what anybody says, if they ink him to like a rookie max extension, that is not a stupid move. That is just a move where you're you're betting on the guy and you're trying to tell him that you have faith in him and, and the work that he's put in and everything else. And might even motivate it. for a guy like RJ. I think that would motivate him to be even better, more so than like what we saw with Julius, where it seems like getting a big contract puts pressure on him, which then it can sometimes make him fold like he did his first year here and like he did this year after inking the big extension. Um, but it, they're in a good spot. They're, they're, you know, they have the, the requisite salaries to put together a star trade should one become available. They have the requisite young pieces to include as sort of the immediate gratification in those deals. They have at least one extra, you know, first round pick and like a ton of extra second round picks to add in is that, that pick, you know, gratification for any given deal that they would do. So I think they're very well positioned. It's just, you know, this offseason will be one of the first ones where I'll say, like, you know, last year was an aberration. Nobody thought the Knicks were going to make the four seed. Clearly, it was an aberration in the way that Julius played and stuff, because I think I think the real answer for him is I don't know if he's necessarily the guy that we saw this year. If you can get him happy and motivated and willing and all that stuff, I think it's probably a middle ground of what we saw last year versus what we saw this year. Uh, as far as leveling out his efficiency, certainly leveling out his attitude, stuff like that. But, you know, last year, like I said, it it was an aberration. They had what we thought was going to be a huge offseason this past year where they might be able to make a leap into like actual semi contention. Obviously, that was not the case. And, you know, Julius crashed back to earth and uh, you know, Tibbs regressed, I think, in many ways in the way that he coached the team and his willingness to adapt and things like that. And we sort of saw the team just sort of crumble based off where they were last year. Now though, if, I mean, if, if things have been different, like Derek Reifer wrote this in, in a recap at Strickland recently, and I really agreed with it. He was like, what if things didn't work out the way they did last season? What if it, you know, the Knicks went from being as bad as they were in 1920 to then last year being like a, I don't know, like 12 games under 500 or something, or like 10 games under 500 in the condensed season to then this year, you know, putting up the year that they did and they ended up, what was it, eight games, nine games under 500? Eight games under 500 for the year and like sort of on the cusp of the play-in in in many ways. You know, how would we be looking at this? And we'd probably be saying, okay, yeah, incremental improvements. This is cool. Maybe Julius wouldn't be signed to the contract that he is now, but that might be one of the only differences because they might have still tried to make those same moves last year with adding shooting with Evan Fournier. Uh, and things of that or added guys that could do more than shoot with Fournier over Bullock, stuff like that. Those are all just kind of common sense moves. So I think if you take last season out of the equation, which it's impossible to, you know, like it does exist. But if you sort of looked at it through that lens, I think they're doing all right. But this would still be a very pivotal offseason, no matter how last season went, because now is the time where the expiration dates coming soon on some of these like young value-centric contracts, you know, like the guys on their first-round pick deals, the guys on the second-round pick deals like Mitch, you know, is going to need to potentially get paid this year. You have to make that big decision. You have to figure something out with Cam Reddish next year, who you invested something in this year. You know, this is going to be the pivotal offseason where they have to sort of pick a lane and stick to it. And I think it's also going to be a pivotal offseason where, you know, this might be the first time that Leon Rose has to approach Tibbs and be like, Look, man, I respect your autonomy as head coach of this team, but we're going to need to see certain things this coming year because we have big decisions we need to make, and and you know we need your help to make those decisions. And if you're not willing to offer that, then our time might be up sooner than later. Um, so we'll see how that all goes. But hopefully, hopefully, Leon approaches it with that sort of mindset.
1: Yeah, I mean, like this is kind of why I just am really frustrated by the decision to keep Tibbs because I don't see he's not going to change. Like, this is what he is. He's not going to do a bunch of different things now. Um, like, he's not, he's, the, there are things about him that will never change, right? Like, I do think he want. he understands, like, he is adapted in certain ways, right? Like, j- like as a very basic example, um, shooting more threes this year, right? Like, he understands, like, you've got to shoot more threes um, to kind of push the, move the needle offensively. And he understands that. So it's not like he's, like, unaware that the game evolves and moves. But, like, there are core things about him that will never change. He is never going to genuinely try playing Julius and Obi together, right? And maybe Julius is going to get traded, so it doesn't matter in the short term. But, like, that always is going to matter because it tells you something about him. That he is not willing to adapt and to, to try things outside of what he feels are the right, quote unquote, the right way to play, right? He's never going to, and that is just such a challenge. And then you have stuff like, like what other coach in the NBA would go this long this season playing Alec Burks at point over quickly, even if at some point in time, you were like, you know, I don't think quickly is ready to start right now. So I'm Burks is going to have to bite the bullet and we'll just see how things go. At a certain point this year, it became very fucking obvious that quickly was better than Burke's at point guard and should play over him and start over him. And that adjustment never came. It never came. Just like last year, we sat there for an entire season like, why is Alfred Payne still so starting? Why is Alfred Payne still so starting? Why is Alfred Payne still so starting? And then finally we get to the playoffs, and it becomes – it's so obvious, and it's at the point where like you can't afford – to lose those minutes anymore that he finally benched of pain, But that's what it took. Like, that is such a insane degree of either arrogance or self-delusion. It doesn't really matter which one because whichever way it is, that's not reflective of, like, good coaching. And this year, we saw the same shit play out with Quickly and more disgustingly and more absurdly with Obi. I mean, the Obi stuff this year was... As criminal coaching decision that could possibly exist, um, because he created this binary mindset of like it's either Randall or Obi, like they because we can't ever play them together, so it's just we have forty-eight minutes of the floor and it's one of those two guys, and that's what it is. And he created that. That was not like forced on him. There are plenty of coaches. I would I would venture to guess the vast majority of coaches at this point in the NBA would have played Obi and Randall together pretty consistently. I'm not saying like fifteen minutes a game together, but like five five to eight minutes a game of those guys on the floor together. Like I think a lot of coaches would do that. And I yeah. definitely think a lot of coaches would do that situationally to close games and stuff like that. And the fact that he never did that, it capped Obi's minutes and then it, it creates this mindset of like, like, well, it has to be one or the other, so what do you expect me to do? Of course I'm gonna play the guy. Who was All NBA last year? Was All Star last year? Was Most Improved Player last year? Like, it—it's it just stupid. Like, and even if he wanted to only play one of those guys at all times, the skew of minutes was always so ridiculous. Like, it was ridiculous for Obi to only like. I, I'm—I have to look this up again, but I'm almost positive that Obi... i know when I checked last week it was the case. Obi averaged less minutes per game this year than Nerlens Noel and Todd Gibson. That is a joke. Like, I know that they're not effectively playing the same positions, but again, that's because of how Tibbs coaches. um, He creates this binary mindset where it's like, well, those guys play the five and Obi plays the four, so no, it's not the same. But the fact that those guys average more minutes than Obi just shows the limitation of his approach. Like, yeah, Obi averaged 17.1 minutes per game this year. Um, Nerlens was at 22.5 and Todd was at 18.2.
0: Like, it it just... That's and, obscene. Well, and and here's something, here's something kind of interesting too, right? Like I feel like, I, I don't know. I mean, this is kind of like just coming to me. I haven't really thought about this too much, but as you were saying that with the binary thing, it, it also sort of, I mean, I don't, I feel like it's been under examined that the way that tips handled those two players might've in some way affected Julius's clear, like mindset issues this year. You know what I mean? Like, it's literally, it's Julius versus the fan favorite, you know, and that's how it was made out to be by Tibbs via the rotation. It was like, you know, it's either going to be Obi playing or Julius. And so Julius would have like a little bit of an off, you know, half or whatever. And then you start hearing the Obi Toppin chants and, you know, the huge cheers when he checks in because fans know that like, you're never going to see him and Julius together. So then Julius in his mind is thinking like, Oh, once one, you know, like if the fans are cheering for Obi, that means that they want me out, you know, and Obi's, you know, then having to deal with like, oh, I'm directly replacing Julius and, you know, Obi like to his credit, even was saying as of like, like yesterday or or maybe after Friday's game, I forget, he made a lot of comments between the two games because obviously he got a lot of airtime, but like he said after the one game, like, you know. I really want to play with Julius and see what we can do together. And, you know, I, I'm sure that he means that earnestly, like, cause the few times they were allowed to play together just out of sheer necessity, like earlier in the season, when it literally won the Knicks games, when they played together, uh, they played really well. And it actually seemed to increase, you know, Julius's effort level too, in some ways, because Obi is the outlet pass receiving master. And, and Julius is actually a pretty damn good outlet pass maker um in transition and stuff so it's just like i i don't know it it, i feel like it's been sort of i feel like we haven't examined this enough and of course now we have a whole offseason to examine it and think about this sort of stuff but i think there is something to be said with the way that like you said and like i know jeff you know uh jeff rasmussen you know uh, frank barrett you know said this all year in recaps and you know on podcasts and stuff too and a number of other people have said it but like you know tips has this very rigid way of Looking at things where it's one or the other, and guys have their assigned positions and assigned roles that cannot be deviated from. And so, because Obi was a power forward and Julius was a power forward, there could never be a scenario where both of them could be on the floor at the same time. Because in Tibbs's mind, that's just like physically impossible. Even though we literally saw. Julius for stretches, handle pure centers pretty well just by his sheer, like Julius, I'll say this much, like (laughs) you might look at this like almost as him being lackadaisical on defense in some ways, but his unwillingness to bite on defense, you know, as far as like biting on fakes and stuff, which some might see as like, oh, he should be like more active and getting up to contest or whatever. But against certain guys, all they want to do is pump fake you to death, like like Sabonis or something. And Randall would never take that. And actually defended those guys quite well as a result because he wouldn't fall for all the fakes and would just kind of keep his hands up and disrupt the guy. Um, and Obi showed, especially towards the end of the season, some a, a little bit of rim protection, particularly like coming out of nowhere to try to provide like a block at the last moment or something like that. Uh, so that it was very easy to see a blueprint where those two could work together in stretches, and yet Tibbs just kind of refused to try it. And then, to your point, it created this binary that I think you know, more so than even just what it did on the court, I think might've been some of the cause of some of the, you know, the off court and, and I guess in, in some ways on court and the way that Julius played and stuff, but some of these divisions between like Julius and the fans and Julius, and it seems like the coaching staff and the team, because we, you know, we've heard all these reports about him potentially wanting out, you know, based off how things were handled this season with him and all that. So, you know, I, I don't think that can be, under-stressed, you know what I mean? That the Tibbs might have played a hand in that as well. Yeah. Um,
1: it, it's – to me, it's just like, like – it, it, I, I think what's really frustrating with Tibbs is, like, I don't think he's a bad development coach. I've said this on, like, about 5,000 pods and in many, many tweets. Like, I don't think he's a bad development coach. I think he really fucking sucks, though, at trusting the guys he's developing – At points in time where it's obvious that he needs to... That he should trust them. You know, like, it was so obvious by January that Quickly was significantly better than Kemba Walker. Like, not not like marginally, not, you know, he had his days. It was like consistently, game by game, you knew that Quickly would outperform Kemba, whether he fucking shot well or not. Um, You know, it, it is what it is. So it's like I don't know what to do with that Like because to me, I do like, what is frustrating for me is seeing people being like, well, see, all the kids are playing well now, so clearly Tibbs was a master of development for them. And I don't like to take away from whatever he has done to aid their development, not in terms of time on the court necessarily, but like things that are happening in practice and all this shit behind the scenes that we don't get to see day by day. Um, but like, well, like, like, here, there's a few things here, right? There are specific development coaches, right? This is not like Tibbs by himself, like, go having individual sessions with, with each of these young guys, you know, every single day. Like, no, we have development coaches for that purpose. A lot of these guys, like Sims and Deuce specifically, they spent a lot of time in the G League. So, like, they were working separate from the big Knicks. Like, they got a lot of their playing time and reps and all that stuff somewhere else. And on top of that, like, I don't know how I'm supposed to just trust his, like, talent ID when it's obvious, like, Obi wasn't going to get any type of extended run until Julia sat. And the moment that happened look at what he's done, you know, dismiss the competition and all that kind of stuff as much as you want. But like, he's played really, really well. And he's openly talked about how like, it's like, he doesn't feel like he doesn't have to look over his shoulder every time he makes a mistake. And, um, I, I I just think that like if he never gets to that point where he's able to trust his own ability to develop players, that's a really big problem. I mean it's actually really weird with him because like I actually think when he's been forced to just play a lot of young guys because of injuries and being short-handed or whatever, he shows a lot more creativity and like I don't think he's a bad coach for young players even if he's a bit of a psycho with like his screaming and all that shit, but I don't care about that. Um, like I think he's like a pretty he's like like these guys all have gotten better on defense, which says something about him, right? Like like Obi his biggest concern coming out of college was how bad his defense was. And I think, however, whoever is most responsible for that, I mean, the players should always get the majority of credit for development, but like, obviously they need help along the way. And Tibbs has obviously provided a template or like a, a structure for them to improve defensively, especially that he deserves credit for. Um, but like, if I have to create a roster in such a fashion where you have to play the guys that I want you to play. And I can't just trust you to play the right guys. That is a really big problem for me. Like if I'm Leon Rose and I'm in somebody in the front office, that's a really big problem. And um, look, it seems like Leon, pro- what, what I'm getting the sense of is that like, I think, I think it's pretty obvious that Wes and Brock are done with Tibbs, And I think Leon is more of like the, hey, look, like, um, not everything was great this year, but Tibbs did a great job the year before, and you know we fucked up a few things, so we're going to give him another year. That's what it seems like to me anyway. I don't think it's like a resounding endorsement of Tibbs, but I do think it's more of like a let's give it another a little bit more time and see what happens, and let's see if Tibbs can, can change. But again, to go back to it, that puts the onus on the front office to create a roster in such a way that – it will force Tibbs to play the guys that you want him to play. And I just don't understand like how that's conducive to what you ultimately want to do. You know, like it sucks that we have to sit here and shit on Alec Burks when like Burks is a good player. And I think he's been awesome for the Knicks. Like I, I've i talked about this before, but like you can argue that in the last 20 years, if you look at all of the Knicks free agent expenditures, he's like the one guy who they've signed, who's probably and they've signed him to multiple contracts now, who's really like provided value on those deals. Um, and obviously the Knicks free agent history isn't exactly littered with great success. But you get my point, is like he should actually be seen as a success story for himself and for the Knicks and for this organization. But like instead, because of how Tibbs has chosen to deploy him beyond all reason, you just become frustrated by it. You know, um, so it is. You know, it is what it is. I, I just, it's really, really frustrating um, to, to to kind of to to really just see how things have unfolded with with Tibbs this year. Um, but you know, look, I don't want to get. We've, we've talked about Tibbs endlessly. And we've talked about the front office. Let
0: me let me just interject real yeah. quick. I just yep. want to say, I too like Alec Burks. <laughs> in his role <laughs> as a fourth guard on a good team in the playoffs. He will get exposed as a point guard trying to run a team, but I too like him in his role. Um, no, I'm with you though. Like I, I said that on locked on Nicks like a million times this year. Like it, it's unfortunate that now, you know, the, the, the big, you know, so if we want to sort of wrap up the tips discussion on this, but like the big, it's like you said, the, the problem with bringing him back isn't so much that like, he's the worst coach that's ever coached or whatever. Like there have been some clear things that he did well. He did get buy-in last year, you know, and he clearly had some measure of buy-in this year too. But like, no matter what anybody tells you about like, oh, the team loved him so much. And like, you know, Obi or Quickly will come out and say it. it you could see for most of this year, the reactions that Quickly and Obi had to getting pulled after they would put together like an eight minute stretch of great basketball And then make one bad play and get yanked so that, you know, Kemba Walker could could go out there and shit all over himself. Or Julius Randle could go out there and, like, sulk his way to another, like, eight points and five turnovers to end the game. You know what I mean? Like, there was – you could see that they were clearly not, like, thrilled with the entire situation, with how Tibbs was handling things, regardless of what they might say. And, you know, I I hope that the front office also wasn't thrilled.
1: I – look, I I agree with a lot of that, and we're going to get back to that, but – I do have to say something. The NHL season has been packed with dirty dangles, hat tricks, and big wins. As the action rolls on, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has your shot to win Big 2. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's right. A bump in the win column for your team means free bets for you. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you still have a shot to light the lamp. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy con- Fantasy Hockey Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot and millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN, bet just $1 on any NHL team, and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. 21-plus restrictions apply. See show notes for details, which I'm going to read to you now, and I probably shouldn't have read that part. All right. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537. That's in Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, and Wyoming. You can call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado or New Hampshire. 888-789-7777 or visit http ccpg.org/chat uh, that's in Connecticut 1-800-bets-off Iowa 1-877-770 stop uh, and that or text seven eight seven eight six seven 7867 for LA 877-8-hope-ny or text hope-ny 467-369 in New York visit opgr.org that's in Oregon call or text Tennessee red line 1-800-889-9789 for Tennessee or one 532 3500 for Virginia must be 21 plus or 18 and over in New Hampshire and Wyoming physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Los- or Louisiana, Michigan, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New York, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming, Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See, see httpdraftkings.com slash sportsbook for details. Well, I don't know. Berman, actually, I don't know if you just saw this, but Berman just dropped a piece. Uh, and in it, he says, uh, when the Knicks hit the All-Star break amid a 3-13 and fall, a three-game losing streak, and a 25-34 and record, at least two members of the front office Recommended at the top. Thibodeau be let go. Uh, welcome. Uh, I think without saying it, I think we get to see that that is world wide West and Brock Aller. Uh Front office members thought Thibodeau had, as one source put it, lost the team. They didn't like some of the body language and attentiveness during timeout huddles. That has to be about Julius. Um, and uh, it says, you know, Leon was dead set against it. So obviously my powers of deduction are excellent. Um, you know, he goes on to say this, uh, a source said that uh, a source said that Thibodeau earned kudos with brass for being willing to play rookie center Jericho Sims over the veterans after the break. I agree. He does deserve credit for that. And I mean that not facetiously. Like, I know that people, as soon as Sims kind of got in the, into the mix, people were like, how was he not playing sooner? I think he was so raw to start the year. Like, he played like two minutes in that first Boston game, and he had no idea what the hell he was doing. Um, I think he needed the reps he got. I, I think it's a really big kudos to not just Tibs, but the organization and the development structures they set up that he's made the progress he has made this year. I mean, his passing out of like catching the ball on the roll and stuff now, I'm like really impressed by it. I'm kind of like scared at how what I almost think he could develop into or something at this point. I don't want to say it publicly, so I'm not going to, but his passing chops are crazy. Uh, last last thing I'm gonna throw this in there. Uh, According to one NBA source, the front office and some players weren't thrilled with how the coach handled the enigmatic Julius Randle this season in not holding him more accountable for his miscues. Um, Yeah, so, you know, I think this is all very normal. This is all basically what we've been saying, right? It's like, these are just facts. This is just what happened this year. And, you know... If you want, if you want to keep Tibbs and you deserve, think he deserves another chance, I think that's fine. Uh, I, I I strongly, vehemently disagree with it, but I don't think that's an unreasonable position to have. What I have an issue with is like not ex, not just like just accept that the things he did poorly this year were poor. They were really poor, and in another universe where he gets fired, it wouldn't be this unimaginable disaster. He would have deserved it. Um, and he's lucky. He's very lucky, I think, that Leon seems to be as patient as he is—not just with him, but in general with how he operates. Because I think a lot of other front offices, a lot of other front offices in this league, would have watched what he did this year and fired him at the end of the season. Um, I thought he did a really terrible job. I've been on record saying, like, I think he did a bottom five job in the league this year. Um, yeah. I think he did a terrible job with the resources handed to him. And that adjust, that's adjusting for Julius playing like an asshole um, and Kemba doing whatever Kemba decided to do this year. Um, but let's switch gears a little bit. Let's uh, talk. Let's look, the Knicks have more than a few decisions to make over the offseason. Um, but probably the two biggest ones they have are related to RJ Barrett and Mitchell Robinson, uh, two guys that are up for new contracts. RJ still has a year left on his rookie deal, but um, he's extension eligible this offseason. And Mitch is out of contract now. He's an unrestricted free agent. So let's just start with Mitch, actually, because I think this is a little, I think this is actually a lot more interesting and it can go in a lot of ways, uh, more so than RJ, who I think
0: this will make this will make for better conversation on the Mitch front, too, because I know you and I are, have been at, at various sides of opposite sides of the aisle on Mitch for a lot of this year. So this will be interesting.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I mean, I also think this, like, I think even if the Knicks don't come to an contract extension this offseason with RJ, that's not really that big of a concern to me. Like, I think as long as they negotiate in good faith and make honest offers that are not like bullshit, it's fine. Like if you offer RJ four years, $125 million, right? And But not the full five-year $181 million extension. I don't think that's like a disrespectful offer, right? And that's just about like, if RJ wants to take that, cool. If not, then you'd be like, hey, look, like, we are happy to pay you next off season. And if you want to bet on yourself, so be it. But like, we just can't get there right now, but we still like want to have you here long-term. We see you as a long-term piece. I don't think like there's a way. Like, look, Leon was an agent for a long time. I think he has an idea of like how to have that conversation with him. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it's, where it's not this offensive thing. Um, Mitch is obviously a different case because he's an unrestricted free agent. And I'm kind of like, I'm not even really torn on this. But it's like, if there was a better center option available on the market, I would not have any hesitation in trying to make an aggressive play for them. I just don't see it. I mean, the only guy who theoretically could be on the market is somebody like DeAndre Ayton, but, you know, who the hell knows what's going on there? Like, if Sarver's being cheap, okay, then you have a chance to get him. But it's the same thing, right? Like, he's a restricted free agent, so ultimately, if the Suns want to keep him, they can keep him. And... I mean, if that's the only thing we're talking about is like, well, DeAndre Ian, I mean, that's one guy. That's it. Other than that, is there a center on the market that you're like, yeah, I would definitely want him over Mitch? I don't think so.
0: Yeah, I don't think so either. I think there's just like, I guess the question then becomes, right, like, especially if you're keeping Tibbs, like, you know, he's probably going to be like, oh, can we bring Taj back for another year? <laughs> or whatever and you know fine like if you want to bring him back and then say okay you know what we saw enough out of Jericho Sims this year that we feel comfortable with like let's elevate him to starter we'll see what we can do and we have capable backups to kind of spell him if New Orleans the wild can get healthy assuming that they don't just like salary dump him somewhere you know he's he's proven that he could be a decent backup and all that um you know and if they bring back Taj for his you know millionth season in the NBA um, you know, and want to have him back up Sims too, is just sort of like foul trouble insurance. You know, maybe that's a direction they go, but or maybe even they just scour the free agent market. There's always like I, I don't have a free agent list in front of me, but there's always five like JaVale McGee type players available that you could sign for like basically the minimum that will give you like good center production if you want to go that route. Um, and if they wanted to do that and say, okay, you know, we'll get a couple insurance policies on the roster behind Sims, just in case, you know, like he gets in foul trouble, which will would definitely happen if you elevated Sims to starter, like it would be sort of like when when Mitch was first trying to start, you know, in like his second year, there would be there would be some foul trouble nights, there'd be some nights where you'd have to really work through some issues and stuff. But, you know, I think it would be defensible if they would decide to go that route. That said, I don't know if I would necessarily go that route, because I think, like you said, like there's not there's not many other guys on the roster or on the on the market that you could be like, let me go after this guy to replace what Mitchell Robinson was giving me. And I think for as merc- mercurial as he was at times this year, I think by the time the dust settled at the end of the year, I think that Mitch was it, he was a a plenty good uh, uh, starting center in the and, and like definitely a plus plus defensive guy. Um, still on offense, he needs to commit to learning some new stuff, you know, like catching and dunking is cool. Uh, offensive rebounding is great. You know, that's, that's awesome. That's kind of, I think that's like his bread and butter at this point is offensive rebounds for a, a putback dunk, which is cool. I mean, that's a super duper valuable skill in the NBA. Uh, but he needs to learn just like a little hook shot or something or you know, anything along those lines, a a little mid range shot, you know, which I don't think is very likely considering he can't shoot free throws worth anything. And his, his shooting form is just insanely bad. Um, but you know, even just a little hook shot, a little, you know, a little bit of a back to the basket game, something like that, just to give him a little diversity in what he can do would be super useful. Um, but I, I would feel pretty comfortable giving him I've said this whole time, and I'll stick by it. I know some people disagree; say it's too high, whatever. I would feel if it took paying him up to like what Robert Williams got, I would do it because I I don't think that that ever becomes like like you said earlier in the show that that never to me becomes an albatross. That's never going to be a deal that I look at and say, "Oh man, like Mitch is completely untradeable." You know, like damn, what did the Knicks do? You know, it's if you give him like the Jared Allen contract then maybe there's a point where you look at it and you say damn like 20 million a year over 5 years that's going to be pretty rough to to move you know for a guy like Mitch if he doesn't improve some things in his game but like 4 years at like under or i think it was under 60 million for wasn't it like 456 for Robert mm-hmm. Williams
1: 454 but i think it's actually like 448 guaranteed Right. There's like so, six million in incentives
0: or something right so if you do something like that that's like perfectly movable to me you know at any point during Mitch's deal if he if he never improves a single thing he's movable at that price and some team would jump at the opportunity if they were like really short on rim protection and needed a dude like that on their team like if it was a team like a I don't know golden State or something like that like next year if the Knicks decide oh, you know I, you know we suck again let's get rid of Mitch by the deadline or whatever you could trade him to a team like Golden State or something that would be like, oh, we really just want like a defensive presence. We don't need him to be a huge offensive presence other than just like cleaning up our messes, you know, but he could definitely affect things on the defensive end for us. Some team would bite and give you something, you know, it might not be a ton, but you could definitely offload him and get something in return, like a pl- an intriguing player and, you know, a second round pick or something like if nothing else, if not like a late first rounder for him. So. I'm, I'm of the mind to extend him and, and give him another deal, but I, I don't know where you're standing on that as of right now.
1: Uh, I mean, like I said, I don't think there are better options, yeah. and if the contract you have to give him is the Robert Williams contract, like, that's fine. I think where it gets dicey is, like, if there's a team that's out there willing to pay him more than that, I don't think there would be. Um, but, like, you have Detroit sitting out there with a bunch of cap space, and they don't have any idea what the fuck they're doing. Um, and I don't mean that, like, Derogatorily, I, I mean that in the sense of like they're a bad team that has a lot of different holes that they
0: need to. You can, you can also addressed. mean it derogatorily for the amount of money they spent on centers like two years ago. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean that that was obviously bad,
1: but like, I guess like you know they have like a decent young core going on there, whatever. I, I, but like they have they have money burning a hole in their pocket, and even if you were a smart team, when you have that much cap space and you have needs to fill. Look, we're Knicks fans. We've seen this before. Um, it's hard. It's hard to 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 pay guys what they're really worth, but especially like a market like them, a bad team like them. They have to overpay guys to come there. And so like, is there a world where they go, you know, maybe they go, what if they did like 360 million for Mitch? You know, like, is that something I'd be comfortable matching? Like, I, it wouldn't. It wouldn't. And But I, at the same time, I don't understand why they would do it. Um, and see, like that's, so that's where it gets dicey for me. Like, what if he wants 460, 465? What's the hard line here? You know, like, and, and the Knicks are in a tough, tough position because he is an unrestricted free agent. So like, ultimately he can always dangle it out there. Like all it takes is for Detroit to say like, yeah, look, we're going to give you 360. If he brings that back to the Knicks. What are they going to say? You know? He also
0: doesn't even have to bring it back to the Knicks. Right. Like, that's the other thing is when you're an unrestricted free agent, you can just sign and call them later. You know, like you could sign yeah, exactly. right on the spot and be like, "All right, sorry, Knicks, peace." Like that's what. We never wanted. call them. Yeah. Or never call them. Or never um, call them.
1: <laughs> and, and so, like, uh, that's where it's dicey for me. Um, when it comes down to it, though, I will say this: I don't think he actually wants to leave. I certainly don't think he actually wants to leave for Detroit. Um, A team like Dallas, you know, they don't really have a five right now. And I know that they're doing this whole small ball thing, but you have to think somebody like Mitch would have appeal to them. Uh, Obviously with kind of all the ball handling they have with Luca and Dinwiddie and potentially Brunson, if they retain Brunson. Um, I think it's just like an interesting fit. And um, he's obviously from New Orleans, so it's a closer, closer to that region. Um, like, that's on their team, but it's like they don't have cap space. So for him to end up in Dallas, like, would require the Knicks to play ball. And that's okay. But, like, I'm really interested to see if there are teams that don't have cap space that are interested in him and what those deals could be, you know? And I don't think there's, like, there's a world where the Knicks trade Mitch, and I don't think it's necessarily an awful thing. Um, you know, as an example would be, like, Charlotte desperately needs a center, uh, what if they were willing to do like some kind of package built around PJ Washington? You know, is that something the Knicks would do? Like, yes, they would still have it would definitely be a big hurt it would hurt their defense. And I know Jericho Sims has closed the season out really well. And I do think he does certain things defensively way better than Mitch. Um but like when you're talking about overall defense, Mitch is still a better defender than him by a lot. And so I do th- I do think they would hurt them if they made a swap like that, but you would also gain flexibility to play different ways offensively, right? Like PJ Washington has played small ball five and I think he's got like legit shooting potential, which I think would be really interesting um, given, you know, what is the best way to build a team around an RJ Barrett uh, moving forward. And look, like let's say Randall is still here. That would benefit Randall too, right? Like playing with a guy who can spread the floor out, uh, in the front court. And so, like, I just think there are there are worlds where we can move on for Mitch and it doesn't hurt us. But I also accept that there are possibilities where we lose Mitch for nothing or even if we trade him Mitch and we get something back that's decent, it ends up being in that negative trade um, or, or move. So he's really interesting to me, but, like, I think ultimately push comes job, I'd give him the Robert Williams deal. I feel like he'd ultimately probably take that. And that's fine. I would just always be aware. Like I fundamentally do not think Mitchell Robinson is going to be the starting center for a competitive Knicks team Um, or any team for that matter. I just think his limitations offensively are so severe that it restricts him in that capacity a lot, but like he's still good enough that teams will always be willing to take a chance on him. I think Um, the other concern with him though, that I have that like, and I don't know how to price this in and i don't even know initially how to weigh it. it's like his injuries really worry me because he's always like flying around the, out there out of control like he doesn't walk i know this sounds weird he doesn't like walk normal he's always kind of like wobbling side to side
0: you know yeah he does kind of like lumber like he's got a little frankenstein in him
1: yeah and it's just like it's really worrying for me because because he's so nimble at times but then you just like i feel like he's increasingly become more lumbering and that really worries me because it's not like you become more athletic as you get older, right? But like is some of that because he's recovering from that foot issue he had last year or, and because he was out of shape to start the season. You know, like there's so many unknowns with his situation that make it really difficult, I think, from the outside looking in on just like being like what is the right thing to do. And then I'll also say this. Like I, I mentioned this in the pod yesterday with Stacey, but like there is definitely some – familiarity breeds contempt with mitch for me like i've seen him for four years right i know i'm very very well versed in what his strengths are and what his weaknesses are and it becomes even more frustrating because it feels like he's just gotten better at his strengths and somehow worse at the things he sucks at like he's a worse free throw shooter now than he was before you know like he's not improved as a screen setter at all he can't shoot obviously worth a lick in games um he doesn't really have any post moves to speak of. He doesn't have great hands. Like it's just like really weird how stagnant he's been in some ways while also like you can still see that he's improved, but everything's improved that is like getting better at the things that he was good at coming in from, from day one. Um, so he's just, I don't know. He's a really tough case for me. Like I am, it's, and I think some of it is being frustrated because I was super high on Mitch coming into this season, and I just felt like so thoroughly unimpressed by what he showed over the course of the year, even though he did pick it up for sure uh, the second half of the season. There's no doubt about that. Um, but I think push comes to shove. you got to get over your feelings, and uh, I think if you can retain him at that Robert Williams contract, that, that which is the same contract, by the way, that like Wendell Carter Jr. got, um, I, think, I think you should do that. You should definitely be willing to do that.